Hey everyone, welcome back to the Atlanta Startup Podcast. University Growth Fund is the largest education-based private equity fund in the country. Firm principal Rakesh Nankani and New Atlanta Transplant joins me on a podcast to break down what being the largest education-based PE fund practically means. He'll also talk about the unique story behind the firm's origins and why they saw Atlanta as the perfect city to expand the University Growth Fund student program, which places undergrads into private equity, investment banking, and venture capital roles post-graduation. Rakesh, thanks for joining me today, man. William, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on the uh, Atlanta Startup Podcast. Yeah, for sure, man. And really grateful for your time that you dedicated last week to helping judge and assess uh, startups at uh, Startup Runway. So really appreciate your time there as well. Yeah, of course. That was a great event. And uh, yeah, glad you thought of me for that. That was a a fun group for sure. Certainly, man. Well, I want to dive into this conversation a bit, right? Because, you know, if you look at your website, UGF is described as the largest education-based private equity fund in the country. And um, I would love for you to kind of educate our listeners on what that practically means. So give us kind of the, the quick overview into, into UGF and things like that. Yeah, happy to. Um, so University Growth Fund, it's kind of, that's if I explain sort of the genesis of the whole idea. Uh, the way it started was there were a group of students in Utah that wanted to gain experience conducting due diligence on venture startups, or sorry, venture companies, venture-backed companies. And um so they went around to different funds and said, hey, do you mind if you know we'll sign an NDA, take a look at some of your companies and do some due diligence for you? Um, and those students had great success doing that. Uh, one of their advisors ultimately said, hey, why don't you guys go raise a fund around this? And then that way, these conversations you're having with entrepreneurs and other funds, you know, you have a little more weight behind the things that you're asking for. And, you know, you can actually find results or, you know, create value, um, you know, out of the work that you're doing. So. Yeah, they raised a fund around it and um, started investing in a lot of startup companies that they were due diligence that they were diligencing. And so a lot of that had to do with, or a lot of that was kind of based on co-investing with some some of the top funds around Utah, which is where the fund was um, originated. So fast forward to 2022, um, University Growth Fund is investing out of its second fund of about 54 million dollars. Um, our first fund was about 33, and the real kind of core thing that we do is that we train students on how to look at venture deals. Uh, so we're often taking students from, you know, state schools and other, you know, private universities that are not really target schools and giving them the opportunity to look at uh, startup companies to determine whether or not we make anywhere up to, you know, a $2 million investment in these companies. So what's really cool is your first day on the job as an intern, you're going to get put on a live deal team. And that deal team is led by other students. Uh, so it's this really hands-on and, and robust experience in which you are doing the work that you'll be doing, whether that's in investment banking, private equity, or venture capital, uh, your first couple of years out of school. The way that we set, it up, set up our program actually mimics a lot of different levels of working in venture or any of these other um, investment roles. So what we've heard from students that are a little bit further in their careers now, you know, seven plus years in, is that not only did the internship help them land a job out of undergrad, but it also prepared them for their second job after that, or, you know, the VP and principal or maybe partner roles after that. Um, So our senior associates, the ones that are leading these deals are the ones, you know, leading the calls with entrepreneurs are the ones leading the calls with the other funds that we invest alongside. So it becomes this really rich and uh, hands-on experience for students to really learn what it takes to invest in in venture companies. And so, you know, we give our students a lot of autonomy. Um, We'll 
we took what I would say are the most boring parts of venture capital. And we, the, you know, the partners and myself handle all that. So that's fundraising and sourcing deals. And the students really get to just roll up their sleeves and then due diligence on these companies and tell us whether or not we should invest in them. So um, having gone through it as a student myself, it, it was the most valuable experience as a student. Yeah, that's so fascinating in that what started out as an idea of a couple students wanting to just, you know, dig into to VC a bit and understand diligence has now turned into a, an entire program that is now nationwide. You know, you're investing out of your second fund of $54 million. Um, you've got students going through this pipeline that UGF has created. And it's really amazing what you all are doing. And we're certainly going to dive into that a bit more later in the conversation, but I always like to have our listeners understand who we're talking to as well. So what's the Rakesh story? What's your background and how did you kind of get here today? Yeah, you know, it's so funny when um, I give students my background or just, you know, other people in general, because, you know, we often... When we're going to these schools and recruiting, we're looking for, you know, some of the top students at these schools, which is funny because I was a terrible student in undergrad. Um, I studied mechanical engineering. I got to my last year, realized it's not, it wasn't what I wanted to do. And so kind of graduated with a degree in engineering, but was still a little bit lost. Um, ultimately, I ended up starting a company where we would implement uh, utility companies and their energy efficiency measures for commercial buildings. So you know, we would go in and recommend, um, you know, lighting, HVAC upgrades and things like that to help reduce their energy expenditure. And we would work with utility companies um, and their implementation measures and incentives and things like that. I uh, did that for about six years um, and then realized, one, developed a huge just empathy and respect for what founders go through in starting businesses. Uh, and so I wanted to take that experience and then kind of go back to the the quant side of of, of my engineering background. Um, and so as I looked around for kind of the next step, venture capital was sort of the thing that kept on popping up to the, uh, the top there. So, you know, went to business school uh, in San Diego, heard about University Growth Fund from three different people as I ta- uh, talked to everyone about getting into VC and applied my first week, got in and, and really haven't looked back since. So I've been at the fund for about two and a half years now. Um, full-time for about a year. Although as a student, I was probably putting in full-time hours as well. Nice. So you were at the University of San Diego. You wanted to kind of leverage some more experience and and kind of break into a new aspect of business. You found out about UGF and now you're a principal. You worked your way up from associate to senior associate to now principal. And UGF has a couple offices. I think the home base is in Salt Lake City. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And then so I worked out of the San Diego office and then Atlanta, we opened in June of last year. So almost uh, a one year anniversary. I love that, right? You you all yeah. were primarily situated on the West Coast. But, you know, what was the vision for expanding eastward and why was Atlanta, you know, really at the top of the list for you all? Yeah, I'd say, you know, as we looked around at the different cities, you know, one of the big things that we're looking for in the cities that we are considering expanding to are one, the student population, right? So the student program is core to what we do. And Atlanta just has so many great colleges and universities. Um, what there are almost a quarter million students in the Atlanta metro area. So that was a big uh, reason. Secondly, Atlanta is just a really blossoming and booming tech ecosystem right now. And thirdly, and probably most important is you know, venture capital is generally a pretty non-diverse uh, space. And so 
we wanted to, you know, after everything that happened in 2020, we wanted to sort of affect change in, in ways that we could with our program. So the partners looked around and saw Atlanta as sort of the perfect place for the reasons I just described to open up a new office. And so that's that's the goal of, of us coming out here. So we recruit heavily from HBCUs, from Georgia State, um, in addition to the other schools around Atlanta. Got it. I love that. And, you know, as you think about UGF right now, you all are investing out of your second fund. You know, what is the thesis? What types of companies are getting you all excited? And are you all leading? Are you all following? What's kind of the core thesis around uh, this second fund? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, we are pretty um, agnostic, both in stage and industry. So we'll invest anywhere from seed to pre-IPO. We'll do anywhere from consumer tech, consumer products, enterprise SaaS. We've done a lot of fintech and insure tech lately. So we're kind of all over the place. And the reason for that is because it gives students the opportunity to gain exposure, both on different stages and the lenses that you look at for these different stages of companies, but also uh, different industries as well, right? So oftentimes we're placing our students directly into investment banking. And so they'll have sort of that experience or they'll at least know what coverage group they want to go into because they've worked on several deals in that space. And we give them the opportunities to sort of specialize um, as they progress through our program. Got it. So, are, so you said the majority of students who are going through the UGF pipeline, pipeline are going into IB. And so are you all, is the, the, the purpose to push them to various areas of private equity or the, the finance realm, or is it more so just like IB, PE, VC? Yeah, I'd say that the goal ultimately is to give our students um, a competitive or at least a to give them a strong position when they go to interview at the top banks or private equity funds or even management consulting. Sometimes we'll place students there um, so that they're competitive with, you know, your Ivy League or, you know, your your column tier one schools. And so we're hoping that the experience gives them the opportunity to be really competitive. And so it just so happens that a lot of our students want to place an IB, but then ultimately we find them going back to VC or private equity after their, you know, their two, three years in investment banking. I think what's really cool is that we actually do place a handful of students directly into venture coming out of undergrad, which is, which is pretty rare. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. And want to transition the conversation a bit here and something that kind of just came to mind for me, right? You've been on this ascent, um, within UGF from associate to senior associate to now principal and, you know, along with increasing, you know, your workload in the company, you also have to learn how to manage people under you, right? I'm sure you have probably several associates and uh, senior associates under you. You know, what what are some tips that you can provide other, you know, maybe senior associates or principals around managing junior analysts um, and junior team members as well? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Yeah, it's been a it's been a fun sort of journey for me to transition from the student side to you know being um, on the management side of things. You know, for me and working with students, I take a very hands on approach into like their development. Right. So last summer when I came on full time, I spent I'd say over sixty percent of my time working one on one on one with students to get them up, you know, the learning curve and to you know take a special interest in in their success. Right. And so. It's a lot of, you know, especially with our students that come in and maybe they don't know how to do a market size or even like what a TAM-SAM-SOM analysis is, right? And so it's just like walking through that with them. 
step by step and then kind of giving them examples. But um, ultimately, I think we kind of take this this servant leadership approach where my job is just to make this as enjoyable and as you know great a learning experience for you. And so I just do all the things that I can to make sure that those things happen. And then what we find is if you do that and then you give them a lot of autonomy, that they take that opportunity and really run with it. And so we're able to you know have students leave these deals, and we really don't have to do a lot of a lot of really hands-on work, right? It's very much here. We, we train you how to do it. Go ahead and run with it. We'll guide you along the way, but yeah. you know, show us what you got. And so that's, that's kind of the approach that we've taken. Yeah, that's smart, right? You, you're kind of helping them in the early stages, a lot of hand-holding, but then you're giving them the autonomy um, to go operate in such an ambiguous industry like, like private equity and investment banking and, and VC as well. So it's really interesting. Um, and you mentioned that you all are more so investing from really seed to IPO. So you're seeing kind of the, the effects of the, the macroeconomic state of the economy right now, um, probably impacting you know, some of your investment strategies and thesis and things like that. So we'll be curious to how you see you know, things like inflation, capital markets, right? The, you know, the stagnation of global supply chains really impacting startups at the early stage, if you do see any impact. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're seeing it top to bottom. So we had um, a handful of portfolio companies go public last year. And at the end of that six month lockup period, it just was not a friendly place for, for that stock to be in the market. And so we're that, that's one area that's been uh, tough on us. And so we're, we're kind of waiting to see what happens there with our pre IPO companies, you know, we're taking a, a really long and hard look at those to see if whether or not it would be good to invest now or just to kind of wait until things correct even more. So there are some great companies that I would love to be in, but it's just, yeah, if they're going to kind of raise their next round and down round, we really don't want to take that, <laughs> take that hit. Right. So honestly, what we've seen is, um, or what we've been doing is just moving a lot earlier in our investing or in the, um, company's life cycle and, and doing a lot more seed stage investing just because, you know, they're on a longer time horizon. Um, they're less impacted by, you know, public markets. What's really interesting about, I think what we're really seeing in the public markets is, is an interesting, uh, experience, right? Like capital, generally speaking, is becoming more expensive. And so in the public markets, you're just seeing investors transition from, okay, let's look at these great tech companies that are high growth and the unit economics maybe don't work out now, but we think that they can in the future. And money's super cheap anyway, so let's go ahead and make that bet. But now it's like, all right, money's a little more expensive and you're seeing investors kind of transition back towards the more solid and developed uh, business models. but it's, it's all cyclical, right? We're hoping it all comes back, especially for some of the tech companies in our portfolio. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I think everybody is is hopeful for that kind of bounce back. And, you know, it's interesting. I think, you know, valuations probably at the later stage are just have been, you know, slashed in, in parallel to, to capital markets. And, you know, word on the street is what I'm hearing is those markets are just about dead. So you all are kind of moving upstream a bit to kind of the seed stage, pre-seed realm. And I think that is probably the, the, the area where there remains some of the most opportunity right now for investors, right? I think there's a lot of um, new funds into the market, micro funds, lots of angels, but the companies that are going to win are going to be the ones that have the strong growth metrics, um, demonstrated capital efficiency, and I think those things are more prevalent than ever, ever as investors are 
evaluating startups. So I can certainly mm-hmm. agree with, you know, with that assessment there of wanting to move a bit earlier. Yeah. I'm curious to get your take on this. I've seen this happen a handful of times already. It's, you know, typically venture lags a little bit from the public markets, but I'm actually starting to see now something, or, you know, some funds, sorry, some companies uh, in that growth stage that were, that are going out at valuations similar to what you saw in 2021. But now you're starting to see investors say, you know what, that's actually not, we're not getting any value here and we're not going to invest at this price point. And so I'm curious to see if you're seeing something similar. Yeah, certainly. You know, we're we're more so situated like strictly at the seed level. But, you know, the founders that are going to go out there, there are going to be founders who are going to go raise at these elevated valuations that were the norm in 2020, 2021. But I think investors now are being more disciplined in their capital yeah. allocation as, you know, LPs become more disciplined and and kind of hold on to their capital a bit tighter. So I think that that's the trickle down effect that's going to kind of reverberate down to, you know, from LPs down to, you know, Series B investors down to seed investors and even pre-seed funds as well is kind of this, this back to back to earth reckoning of valuations being more stabilized. Um, Because oftentimes I'm sure you saw this as well. Companies were raising at hundred million dollar valuations with, maybe not even a product in the market, right? Um, You know, on an idea, on things like that. So I think, you know, capital efficiency is the name of the game for companies that want to, you know, emerge on the other side of this um, capital market correction unscathed, right? And oftentimes I've spoke with a couple of founders recently who were at this pre-seed and seed stage and one thing they weren't doing was charging customers up front or even charging some of their early beta or pilot customers as well. And I think that is a, a practice that needs to become more mainstream, I'd say, is, you know, charging, you know, half price, you know, 75% of full price. But something is better than nothing when you think about, you know, capital that can be injected back into the business to help keep this ship afloat. So that that's my take on it as well. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It's, you know, the, the music is sort of slowing down and growth at all costs is no longer the tune that everyone's singing. So I think you're right that there needs to be a bit of a, you know, a bit of change there, at least uh, in the near future. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you, along with your team of associates and senior associates are probably speaking with dozens of founders on a weekly basis, right? So you know what you like in a pitch and what you don't like and some of the things that kind of immediately turn you off in a pitch. So we'd be curious to hear your perspective on what are two or three characteristics of a solid pitch from an investor standpoint and maybe, you know, two or three characteristics of a pitch that needs some work or some type of refinement to to be more, to be better received, I'd say. I think um, I always think back to to this one founder, and, and I just love um, his pitch and his presentation. You know, he spends almost twelve slides on his deck just explaining how severe the pain point is for this business, and I absolutely love that because it's like you know you really hammer that point that there is a huge need in the market to the point where, like in your mind, you're like, I don't even need to see that you, you're finding product market fit. I know that you'll find it because there's such a huge gap in the market, right? So if you can like really understand 
the pain point. And, you know, when you, when you come in with your uh, value proposition and explain how you can solve that, I think is just incredibly valuable. You know, that's, that, that's one side of it. And then I would say another thing that I love to see is, you know, if, if you're a consumer or customer facing business is that you've done a ton of due diligence on the customers and gotten their feedback, right? A lot, a ton of customer discovery that just, that really demonstrates that you understand the market and you understand how to navigate it, you know, as you grow your business. Maybe I'm not remembering, but like identifying a specific um, event or a specific um, point that a founder will make that will immediately turn me off. But I'd say the one thing is like, if we can only get 5% of the market, then we'll be at, you know, blah, blah, blah valuation. And it's like, well, that's fair, but I hope you're really going to dive into, you know, the dynamics of that market and how it, how difficult or easy it is to get that 5%. I mean, like if you're in a huge market, but there are a ton of competitors, that's not going to be as easy as you think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Those are all helpful. And I think, you know, there's no perfect pitch but I think there is room for iteration and areas of improvement that everybody can kind of find within their respective pitch, especially as you talk to different investors, right? You should, I think, tailor your pitch a bit to, uh, to the specific investor that you're talking to in a sense as well. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. No, I I think also um, when you get founders that are just so focused on the hard sell and they forget that, this is a very relationship-driven business, and you have to build rapport with that investor. Um, that's another big piece of it. I think that sometimes founders can overlook. Yeah, I mean, that's the heart of venture is relationships. It's kind of your your word, and it has to be, you know, bond as they say. So, uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. I you know, as we wrap up the conversation here, Rakesh, you've lived in you know several emerging startup ecosystems right and in salt lake city i know a few friends who have moved out there and have bragged about how that ecosystem is certainly going to come up san diego is another one that i've heard good things about as well and now you're here in atlanta you know what what are some of the the differences that you know you see being situated here in atlanta and what makes you bullish on this city and in this region as a whole yeah definitely um so what I loved about San Diego, I actually never lived in Utah. I just have ties there because that's where our fund was started. But um, I'd say Utah is a, lo- a lot further along. I remember the first time I went there, it was kind of crazy driving up and down the highway and seeing some of the companies that we'd invested in. They're like billboards are all over the place or you see the names on the buildings. And I thought that was like really interesting. It's like very Silicon Valley. San Diego was great. They're, they're really big in life sciences, biopharma and all that. And that's that was never a space that I was very well versed in. But what I love about Atlanta is it, it's this like booming tech hub, right? And um, where I think it's at in, in terms of life cycle, you know, oftentimes what you see with the developing ecosystem is you've got a handful of founders, right? They start companies, they have huge exits, and then they keep that money within the ecosystem, either by launching their own venture funds or by launching new businesses, right? And so as that success breeds more and more success, you'll see you know, more startup companies that people will look to as an example uh, as sort of an inspiration, like, oh, cool, okay, I can go and do that and start this business and and be really successful with it. And so um, I think we're probably in like the second or third iteration of that, right? Um, David Cummings had Pardot, and then now he's got Atlanta Ventures and all the great companies that came out of Atlanta Ventures, right? You've got the guys over at Overline, right? They've got um, Cloud Sherpas was the company, right? And then now they've got their own venture fund. And 
uh, Paul Judge with Panoramic, right? So you're seeing this this ecosystem develop, and you're seeing a lot of the money stay within the ecosystem, and um, that's what's really exciting for me. And then you add that, you couple that with the huge uh, student and university ecosystem uh, that's now getting like more and more uh, woven into startups and the venture and tech ecosystem. It's just it's just right for for uh, a really strong you know tech hub. Yeah, I agree. I think that's the right word. And the right way to describe it is that Atlanta is ripe for innovation right now. Um, so many companies are moving here. So many people are moving here. The cost of living is relatively lower uh, than than California, but it's still Atlanta is not cheap. I will say that um, Atlanta has become a bit more expensive, but it's all in the name of you know people moving here, companies realizing the the network effects that being in this region can have on a business. Um, so I'm excited about Atlanta. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad UGF has expanded and put roots down here and excited to hear about, you know, what city uh, may be next on the radar for you all. But really appreciate you joining me here today, Rakesh. I learned a lot about UGF and the interesting, you know, model that you all have to really get students exposure to private equity and, and finance roles at such an early stage and how you prepare them to go be the best versions of themselves uh, immediately after graduation. So really excited about that and looking forward to hopefully collaborating on a deal soon, man. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah. And, and thank you so much for having me. Um, you know, it's always great to uh, to get the word out there about what we're doing here, um, especially as a newer program in town. But um yeah, thank you so much for having me, and, and it's, it was really great getting to chat with you here. Awesome. Cheers. Take care. We're thrilled to have you as an Atlanta Startup Podcast listener. To help you get the most out of the experience, let me invite you to three insider opportunities from our host, Valor Ventures. First, want to be a guest on this amazing show? Reach out to our booking team at atlantastartuppodcast.com. Click on Booking. It's a no-brainer from there. Are you raising a seed round? Valor definitely wants to hear from you. Share your startup story at valor.vc forward slash pitch. Are you a woman or minority-led startup? Valor's sister program, the Startup Runway Foundation, gives away grants to promising startups led by underrepresented founders. The mission of the Startup Runway Foundation is connecting underrepresented founders to their first investors. Startup Runway finalists have raised over $40 million. See if you qualify for one of these amazing grants at StartupRunway.org. You can also sign up for our next showcase for free there. Let me let you go today with a shout out to Startup Runway presenting sponsor Cox Enterprises and to our founding partners, American Family Institute. Truist, Georgia Power, Avanta Ventures, and Innovators Legal. 
These great organizations make Startup Runway possible. Thanks for listening today, and see you back next week.